You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, April 24th, year of our Lord, 2022. Some of you are one player away from disaster, from contending, potentially from both. And I don't want to say who, but I kind of have to tonight. We're going to dive in. We've got spring practice intel, spring games, rapid reaction, coast to coast, and everywhere in between. There was a lot we were looking forward to in we got a substantial amount of it, so we're going to jam-pack the show with that tonight. Boldness, quite frankly, like you've never heard before. And it's not even coming from me. It's coming from a lot of you tonight. We're revisiting, back by popular demand, that segment we did, what, Colin, like a week ago, where it was you telling me what you would bet money on, some of the boldest predictions you have for 2022. And I'm just going to tell you whether I agree or not. And tonight, you got some that I'm, well, I'm both ways on. So we'll get to that in about 15 minutes. The worst hires in this sport at the head coaching position in the last decade, that's something that we're going to have to broach this evening because one of you asked that question the other day, and it, it warranted more than just a quick response from me. So I put it out there, and ooh, we got a lot of responses. And there was one runaway winner. You can think about it amongst yourselves. You'll probably guess it pretty quick. Last decade, head coaches in college football. One clear-cut worst of all time, at least in the last decade. Who would that be? Whomst would that be? Quick programming note, we will not have a Thursday night show because of the draft. We're going to give you a Tuesday night show. So we've been grinding around here. Numbers have been off the charts incredible. I've even been impressed and surprised with how good our numbers have been. The production executives, because producer Jesse chose to go out of town today. Was he ever really in town, by the way? Along with director Colin, put together the show tonight. Got one more Tuesday night, and then we'll take a little four-day break. So keep that on your calendars, and let's dive into the show tonight. They're watching us in Shelbyville, Tennessee, Huntsville, Texas. We got a check-in from Madrid, Spain and Sydney, Australia. Two international check-ins today. Spring games all over the place yesterday. I think most of you probably noticed at least something yesterday. Well, we noticed like 47 things, so let's dive right in. Oklahoma had a spring game yesterday. Boy, did they. In fact, raise your hand if you were in that state and you weren't at the spring game. Look at these pictures. If you're listening on podcast, just imagine a sea of humanity, basically a sea of humanity. And then I got a lot of folks coming back on the other side telling me no one cares about spring game attendance and there's just more to do in other places of the country. Those folks, by the way, the ones who live in the alleged more things to do portions of the country do about the same three or four things per week. So their social lives are not indicative of what they suggest they should be. This matters. Crowds at spring games matter, especially if you have a new head coach in town, you got a new staff in town. It's a huge recruiting event. I want you to think for just a second. If you're telling me that doesn't matter, it's probably a defense mechanism because your school didn't show out like Oklahoma's. But if you really do believe it doesn't matter, let me ask you a question. What control over a football program do you have as a fan? The answer is really pretty limited. I mean, once you've given your money, of course, if you don't give money, if you don't show up, then the program just collapses. But once you've done that, how do you affect a football program? And the answer is the spring game attendance is one of the few very, very isolated instances of an event that you can control, that, that you can impact in a positive way. It was, it's a huge recruiting event for everyone, but that is worth millions upon millions of dollars in marketing. And it screams to recruits and it screams to the university and the rest of college football, well, we're serious, first off. Secondly, we're fully invested and bought in. And thirdly, a lot of that, eh, you know, that you've been talking about us is kind of in our rearview mirror. You're a lot more focused on it than we are at this point. So yes, I was impressed with that. That matters to me. But as for on the field goings on, it's an early glimpse I thought we saw yesterday into the style that we should expect from Brent Venables and his team in 2022 specifically, but really just beyond. I don't really think we used complimentary football to describe Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma. That doesn't mean they weren't effective. It's just we never talked about complimentary football a whole lot. We never went into a big Oklahoma game talking about multiple levels of defense being improved and we think that they're going to carry this afternoon for OU. It was going to be, can Lincoln Riley's offense outscore the opposition? More times than not, they could. 
It's never a bad thing to be scoring points. That's the name of the game. But, well, the real name of the game is winning football games, actually. That's what the real name of the game is. So we saw yesterday, and we've heard all spring out of Norman, about the more complimentary approach. And they've really honed in, especially Brenton Venables being the defensive guy that he is, is honed in on his safety position. And they gave you reason to believe, based on the small sample size you got yesterday, there's improvement happening there. It's not done, and they got a lot of bodies that they can rotate in there. But defense is going to be improved for Oklahoma. It's a matter of how much it's improved for them this year. But also, special teams is a, a premium area of emphasis that they've invested in. That's not rare. It's not like Oklahoma's the only one doing that. But what you'll see come fall, whether it's this run game, uh, whether it's Dylan Gabriel's ability to maybe improvise on the run after plays break down, I think you'll see a whole lot more complimentary style of football that will probably yield Oklahoma to being less vulnerable to wild volatility and outcomes. You know, the kind where you score 56 on someone one week and then all of a sudden you got 17 on the board late third quarter the next week and you're asking, how did that happen? Probably won't see that as much. Doesn't mean they're going to go undefeated, but you probably won't see that as much. Javante Barnes is a four-star true freshman running back. They gave him the ball a lot yesterday. He, along with Eric Gray, I think it's going to be a really good one-two tailback tandem there, but just a complimentary style, probably a lot more than you saw with the previous staff. That doesn't guarantee success, just telling you you got a good glimpse that that's the way they plan on going about things. What about LSU? LSU, I don't think it popped a whole lot on the national scene yesterday. I think Oklahoma dominated a lot of the headlines, but I think spring and the spring game, it kind of gave you something that I think is true to reality down there. So what I'm saying is your eyes didn't deceive you. There weren't some guys who shined yesterday who really have, have not been much to write home about the rest of spring and vice versa. Running back area, Brian Kelly's talked about it. It looks improved. John Emery is a guy specifically in the SEC that a lot of people have looked at at the tailback position and have longed for him to take the next step. And especially in and around Baton Rouge, uh, they have good quarterback depth. I think that probably if you watched this game yesterday, you got a little more reason to understand why I have been very hesitant to buy into the Jaden Daniels is the preemptive favorite at quarterback talking point that a lot of people have parroted around the country at LSU. Because he's not. He could very well end up being their starting quarterback. If I had to name a guy right now, or let me back up, I'm not naming anyone. If I had to pick a guy that's going to end up being the starting quarterback for LSU, it's going to be a guy who's already done it before. It would be Miles Brennan. And to be real with you, Garrett Nussmeyer would probably be the next guy. There's no doubting Jaden Daniels' athleticism. I think anyone who watched that, or forget that, anyone who's watched him at Arizona State before he got there yesterday knew that. But Brian Kelly, knowing what we know about him, which is like 18 or 19 years worth at this point, is not going to deal with lack of accuracy at the quarterback position. And Jaden Daniels has not displayed a precision passing ability, shall we say. I think Miles Brennan has more of what Brian Kelly is looking for. I think Garrett Nussmeyer may end up having more than all of them when all said and done. So if you wanted to place odds here, certainly you can, um, you can give me any kind of plus money with Miles Brennan or, or Garrett Nussmeyer right now. You want to make Jaden Daniels the favorite, you go ahead. I, I don't feel that way at the moment. But also the depth, LSU fans will tell you this before anyone else will, it leaves a lot to be desired at a number of positions across the roster. They've got some good frontline guys, and they've got some good depth now. Defensive line, a linebacker looks pretty good, but there are places, obviously, when you inherit the kind of scholarship situation they did, it's not gonna fix itself overnight. That's why they've gotta emphasize recruiting like eight days out of the week. They gotta invest heavily in the transfer portal. But I will tell you this, Brian Kelly's not gonna cut corners in 2022. And even if that means sacrificing some short-term ability to give himself a better chance to win a football game, they're not going to cut corners. Uh, they're going to invest in the long term down there. It seems like such a better structured organization from everybody you talk to. I'm not talking about watching a spring game now. I mean, getting feedback from people who walk the halls every day, in some cases who are on the field on Saturdays. And that's to be expected. I mean, when you go from Ed Orgeron to Brian Kelly, that's to be expected. So LSU, I think they've got a lot to be excited about there. I think largely LSU's spring game delivered exactly what I expected it to. Texas had kind of a, a spring scrimmage slash spring game last night. I thought it validated a whole lot of what we've heard 
out of camp. Uh, I saw someone mention this earlier today, and I'll echo it. I think the Texas beat, our folks over at Horns 24-7, Chip Brown and company, I think they've done a fantastic job of accurately disseminating what the reality is there. Because everything they've reported was on display. Everything. And so I mean, you can go up and down the list. I've got a couple that I wanted to talk about here. Offensive line. Like, it's no shock to anyone who's followed Texas that that looked like a, a uh, mash unit that is badly in need of the half a dozen future enrollees that are going to be on campus in June. So they needed help there. They're going to get help there. But as for yesterday's spring game, the reason they couldn't have one is because they didn't have enough two offensive lines, at least without risking serious like career-ending injury to quarterbacks and whatnot. So you've got that. Um, I think that's a unit. I mean, in 12 months from now, we will talk about and we'll say, do you remember that hodgepodge of a mess they put on the field in the spring game of 2022? Because that's how much better they stand to be this time of year from now than they are right now. They made the best out of a, a less than ideal situation yesterday, but it looks like they hit on Isaiah Nayer. That's that wide receiver transfer we talked about out of Wyoming, who didn't garner a lot of national headline because he was coming out of Wyoming. You just, you have this perception about a wide receiver from Wyoming. Really good. And I get to pair him with Whittington. I get to pair him with Xavier Worthy. But everyone was focused on the quarterback situation yesterday. Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card. I think I got a text from a buddy yesterday that indicates what many of you felt. If you just take that spring game in a vacuum and you just look at productivity, you would be led to believe this is a pretty legitimate quarterback battle. Like, there's not a whole lot separating these two. I think there is going to be a significant separation between the two by the time fall rolls around. And I think that guy listed on top right now, if you're watching on YouTube, Quinn Ewers, I think that's going to be the guy who definitively takes this job. He does not definitively have it right now, but when you look at where he is relative to Hudson Card, and then you understand where they are in their respective developments, and then you understand Quinn Ewers, who is all world physically, has an entire summer session and then fall camp still in front of him, you will see the cream rise. That's not a knock on Hudson Card. There's a reason Quinn Ewers has had the hype behind his name. It's not all just industry hype. Certainly he's not accomplished anything yet, but he is the real deal. Everyone wanted him for a reason. Sark badly wanted him for a reason, and the reason will eventually manifest itself, I think, in him starting for them. But Sark had a press conference after the spring game and he said something that kind of caught my ear that I think a lot of folks would just label coach speak. He was asked, hey, what's different? You know, does anything feel different now versus a year ago? He said, uh, to be honest with you, I feel like we're a team right now. And then he kind of stopped himself. But what he really wanted to say is, I didn't feel like we were a team last year. Now, obviously, in retrospect, you wish the coaches would have told you that in real time. So you didn't waste a whole lot of your money betting on said team. But they can't do that. I think some folks are going to listen to that and say, ah, everybody's going to say that. No, no, everybody's not going to say that. That guy did, though. Steve Sarkeesian did, which kind of goes back to one of the themes I was talking about. I wanted to see that quarterback battle. I wanted to, you know, see some of the defensive odds and ends, but I also wanted to feel Texas, feel the same way with USC. You're going to talk about him in a second. I wanted to, as I said, I wanted to metaphorically stick the thermometer in Texas and just kind of pull it out and see what we have there. And I think what we have is intangible in nature. As I said, there's no metric. You don't really quantify this. Uh, but a Texas fan, like if you're watching from Laredo, Texas, for example, and you knew last year's team and you're watching an early version of this year's team, you know if it feels different. And I watched Texas yesterday. It did feel a little bit different to me. It's always a work in progress in the spring. The eventual national champion, whomstever that is, is a work in progress right now. From Tuscaloosa to Athens to, to Austin and everywhere in between. It's not that. It's does it feel different. And I think Steve Sarkeesian is being really brutally honest with you when he says, I didn't feel like we had a team last year. I think we do this year. Now, Steve Sarkeesian has his own checkered past as a head coach. This is not Nick Saban. This is not a guy where you roll out his resume and it's got multiple national championships from different programs on it to where his approach is above reproach. His approach, you don't question. In other words, if it doesn't work out in any given year, must have been the player's fault, not his fault. This is not Nick Saban. This is Steve Sarkeesian, a guy still very much trying to find his way. So you could have had a moment 
a genuine kind of introspective reflection there where he's telling you, look, I'm still feeling my way out too. I'm a head coach that's still kind of trying to figure out what that perfect formula is too. We didn't have it last year. And I feel like maybe we've got it a lot more this year. I don't think that's nothing. I mean, ultimately you have to execute on the field in the fall, but it helps a whole heck of a lot more if you got a lot of synergy and cohesion inside that locker room and the right guys inside the locker room. I think that's why I've called Texas the most interesting program in the country this year. That's a huge, huge storyline. Also, here's another question for you to just ponder. If we could give that team an above average offensive line, they may not have that this year, but if we gave them just an above average O-line, how much different would this year be? Think on that. we got a few months. Penn State, do not overlook what James Franklin said after their spring game wrapped up. He said, well, it helps that we have a second-year offensive coordinator here. Now, that sounds like common sense. It is, but you have to understand the context. They haven't had that here. And these players, Sean Clifford, chief among them, the quarterback there, hasn't really had that. Certainly this wide receiver core, which I think is very underrated. I think the tight end core is very underrated for that matter. They haven't had that. Mike Yurcich, who is also known as Tom Yurcich on this show, because he's one of like three guys I just never remember the first name of. He could be sitting right there. I'd say, hey, Mom, which is a mixture of Mike and Tom. I think it, it's a really big deal, actually, that he's back now for a second year. And it really manifested itself, I think, this spring in the way they divvied up these quarterback reps. Now, for his credit, James Franklin did something yesterday that not a lot of coaches do. They closed the practices to the public for a reason, except the spring game. Uh, but then he trotted right out there in front of the assembled media yesterday, pulled out a chart, and told you exactly how many reps every quarterback took in the spring. And when he said reps, he meant actual throws, so not just snaps. I think it dispelled one of the brief myths that had existed around Penn State football this spring, which was Drew Aller, the five-star true freshman, is going to come in and immediately compete with Sean Clifford. Uh, you heard the tone in my voice when people mentioned that. And I was very hesitant. Producer Jesse uh, mentioned that, and I was very hesitant. Uh, that's not happening. Immediately, at least, it's not happening. Clifford had like two to one reps to whoever was number two. And uh, another thing that James Franklin did yesterday that I would advise every head coach to do was when he got asked, hey, who stood out in spring? Which is the most boilerplate softball of a question that the assembled media could ever toss a head coach at the end of spring. They're expecting two names. 45 second to a minute and a half response. Let's move on. James Franklin talked for, I want to say, about five minutes straight. I think there are maybe two or three names on his roster he didn't list. He pretty much named everyone else. That is the only way to go about it in the transfer portal era. You got to talk everyone up. You got to make everyone think that they either had the best spring of their career or they're just that close. Just one or two little tweaks in the summer conditioning program and you're going to be right there. Very, very smart move on the part of James Franklin. Uh, he said this is the deepest overall they felt. Now, he said we may not be quite as talented frontline to frontline as we've been, but I think we're the deepest we've been. I think this incoming true freshman class, he said, is the overall most ready to contribute that it's been. So you can take that one of two ways. You can either think, oh, good, they're going to be a little above average, but he told me they don't have any superstars. I've watched Penn State football for several years under Franklin. I don't really think it's superstars that have won games for them. I think it's been pretty solid play. In other words, I've watched Penn State games, and a whole lot more times than not, the game is lost by one side or the other, rather than the game just being taken. So I look at Penn State, and I feel really good when he tells me, we got a lot of depth, you know? In other words, we can afford to lose a guy or two. Don't want to, but probably will. It is football. And we're not going to fall off a cliff production-wise. Look at this schedule. If you're watching on YouTube, there are a lot of one-possession games, inevitably, on this schedule. If you tell me you trust your depth a little bit more, and you still got some really good playmakers, don't, don't short-sell them, and you got some true freshmen ready to contribute, and you got experience at the quarterback position and a second-year OC, it just, you don't know. The Bob stuff, the bounce of ball stuff, you don't know when Minnesota comes to town. 23-17, to 17, who's the 23, who's the 17? That stuff he's talking about here in April could very well be what decides that in October. So a lot of kind of consistency that you think you can depend on. And consistency is a, really a core tenant of many of the contenders that are still around in November. 
What about USC? Everyone was excited to talk about this USC spring game. Now, I know that there was some chirping back and forth between USC folks and Oklahoma folks. Oklahoma had an incredible spring game and an incredible spring attendance figure. USC did not match that. Now, is that how we should look at it? I would argue no. Now, they despise me on the USC board, so you would think I have every reason to, to uh, rail against them. Uh, but they hate me for false reasons, so really, I'm not going to feed into that. Here's what you do need to know about USC. They actually had a great crowd yesterday. I know you saw the freeze frames on Twitter. Oftentimes, those are taken before the game starts, by the way. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but there are some people out there who are agenda-driven in nature who kind of want to feed into a, a certain overwhelming mentality that already exists. Yes, it happens. Believe it or not, even in our space. USC had a good crowd by USC standards. They're not going to pack the Coliseum on a Saturday in April. But what if I told you, alternate headline, that USC had the most attended spring game for them since the 90s? As we're showing footage here, you may not believe that, but all I have to go on is what's happened at USC in the past. So good on Lincoln Riley. Believe it or not, these words are about to come out of my mouth for drawing a big crowd at the Coliseum yesterday, all things considered. We talked about kind of the same thing with Texas. How's it going to feel and how are they going to tackle? All the rest of the stuff's going to work itself out. I did not expect a well-oiled machine of an offense. I mean, they're still trying to catch their breath from putting a staff together, much less putting an offense and installing everything together. And you're not going to see it in spring games even if they have. But they tackled pretty good yesterday, which was sorely missing uh, last year, spring and otherwise. Also, the feel is there. This is go back, it goes back to that whole intangible thing, but Lincoln Riley's been pretty emphatic about this. And a lot of those players have been pretty emphatic. They've talked about how, how far they feel like they've come in just a couple of months since the new staff's been on campus. Uh, Lincoln Riley uh, really, really emphatically talking like that. So you can, again, you can take your pick. You can either listen to that and say, well, what else is he going to tell me? Or you can listen to it and say, well, if he didn't truly feel that way, maybe he just wouldn't say anything about it. I will say this, it's always the best approach to go to the people who cover the program and go to the fans, because you see them every now and then. Those folks see them all the time. And the overwhelming consensus around USC is, I have no doubt this is the right staff at the right time. I have no doubt in the direction. I don't think they're done in the transfer portal, so you don't see the full USC that you'll see in the fall quite yet. But the feel overall, which pertains to 2022 and beyond, feels exactly how they want it to feel. Uh, they are going to, they're going to have a wild kind of scale of volatility about their potential results this fall too. You know, I'm looking at the schedule right now. They go to Utah on the 15th of October. I don't think USC is the favorite in the South right now. I don't think a lot of their fans think they are. I do think that they feel once this offense gets to whatever product it's going to be, they will have more than a puncher's chance, but it's about a whole lot more than 2022 which, I mean, USC fans understand that. I hope the rest of the country does. Uh, there'll be some ups and downs for them this year. This is, this is a product that they have to overturn, which doesn't happen overnight. But I felt kind of different than the rest of the country. I think the rest of the country kind of took an opportunity yesterday to say, ha ha, look at what you don't have there. Mm, okay. I mean, I can only go on what they had there last year and then compare it to what they have now. And what they have now whole lot better than what they had last year, and that staff's only been there three months. Let's give it a little time, shall we? What about Oregon? This was a big spring crowd. Look at this. It's a pretty picture if you're listening on podcast. Imagine clear blue Oregon skies and people. Again, as far as the eye can see, they had a little over 43,000 in attendance for Dan Lanning's first spring game. Man, it just looks good. I kind of like looking at that for a little while. Immunity. Uh, I would be surprised at this point if Bo Nix is not the starting, starting quarterback for this team. And I didn't say that when he transferred there. When he transferred there, I was holding out hope that Ty Thompson, who was a true freshman last year, was going to make a, a kind of a quantum leap this spring. And it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility that he still could. I didn't see it yesterday. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought Butterfield, I think, who is uh, the guy he's battling with for second, I thought they looked very comparable. I and mean, I thought Bo Nix was the clear number one. 
I don't think that's going to change. So I'd be surprised at this point, of course, barring injury, if Bo Nix is not the starting quarterback for Oregon. They had a big emphasis yesterday on pushing the ball down the field, which was one of the primary gripes that a lot of Duck fans have had, especially last year. Remember last year, we were going into the season, and I was really high on that wide receiver core. Still am, for that matter. And Oregon fans kind of felt the same way. They, they, they looked around, they read the practice reports, they watched the spring games, they watched the games and said, boy, don't we seem talented? Don't we seem a little more talented out wide than we're featuring from our play calling perspective? Well, this staff walked in and apparently thinks yes, at least if yesterday's any indication and, and spring intel has been any indication. So they plan on using that wide receiver core, pushing the ball down the field. All these quarterbacks, every one of them I just mentioned, had at least one explosive play downfield yesterday. Yeah, it's a spring game. But, I mean, some staffs dial it back in the spring. So at least they dialed it the other way. I'm excited to watch that, though. One of the things I'll watch on the West Coast this fall is how Oregon and that first-year staff up there, how they utilize that wide receiver core. Because they inherited some good guys there. And they've got an interesting quarterback battle. Uh, one of the more intriguing quarterback battles. And not just who's going to be the starter. I just told you, I think Nix has got that job on eh, semi-lock for the, for the time being. But, you know... If, if Ty Thompson doesn't make that move and really secures that number two spot and battles Bo Nix, you know, I just kind of leave it open-ended, but I just kind of wonder there. I just kind of wonder. Had high hopes, still do, but just kind of wonder. So that's a look around the country yesterday at uh, many things, many things that I took away from spring games. Appreciate you guys being tuned in right now if you are. It is gorgeous outside. There's no other way to put it. I don't use that word a lot on the show, but... Man, twice this week, not once, not three times, right there sandwiched in between, twice this week, I darkened the doors of our friends and our, well, our friendly Academy Sports and Outdoors. You could pick anyone you want to. Man, it was nice to get in there. Just feels kind of brighter in Academy Sports and Outdoors in the spring. I don't think it's just because they leave the windows open either. If you need anything, anything at all, I, could, I mean, it could be bats, it could be balls, it could be gloves. Had to order a new pair of turfs because I played softball the other night, woefully unequipped. Still did okay, but woefully unequipped in terms of uh, footwear. So we have rectified that. I did my part. Academy does their part every week because they, they quite literally bring the show to you. One of you complained I say quite literally too much, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quite honestly try and stop saying that so much. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though, or academy.com if you cannot get to an Academy Sports and Outdoors no matter what you have planned this spring, and I hope you got plenty of them, if it involves the outdoors, if it involves camping, if it involves grilling, if it involves recreational activity or certainly any kind of sport, this side of Pluto, which should very much still be a planet, quite literally, uh, make Academy Sports and Outdoors your one-stop shop for all that. And look, if you've been going to another place for a long time, that's all well and good. This is America, and that's what it's about. But you know, within America, this is Late Kick, and on Late Kick, we really believe in Academy much more than those other establishments because they all had an opportunity to put their sticker on the show, and only one chose it. Academy chose the right route. So let's just respect them, honor them, and then patronize them in whatever order you want to. Academy Sports and Outdoors, always appreciate them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, I have in front of me right now things that you have said. Colin, here's your end point. I like this one better. I hold in my hand right now 
No less than six of the boldest things that you said to me last week. I asked if you had to bet your money on your boldest prediction in 2022, what would you feel bold enough to predict? So let's dive in here. We did this last week. People loved it. So we're going to do it again this week. How about this one? Dean, Dean Straka, our own Dean Straka, Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M all fail to reach 10 wins. On the boldness scale, I put this at a five. I originally went higher, but I lowered it to a five. And I'll tell you why. Because singularly, none of these teams being predicted under 10 wins stands out. None of them will have an over-under win total in the double digits. They'll be anywhere from like eight to nine and a half, nine, somewhere in that range. Could be seven and a half even. So none of them will have a 10 win or more over under, but he's not just betting on one team going under 10 wins. He's saying Texas, no double digit win season. Oklahoma, no double digit win season. Texas A&M, no double digit win season. And to me, like if I had to pick a yes or no at even money on this, I'm saying yes, one of them does hit double digit wins. Thus the boldness in the prediction. This is essentially an under parlay here. Just say no to parlays, the devil's tool, kids. But if this were to happen, I'm really focused on the Red River shootout portion of this. Texas A&M, we can talk about a little bit later, and we will. But what about Texas and Oklahoma? Because to me, when you play each other as they do, obviously the winner of that game gets a win in one of the toughest games on their schedule. So let's just, for argument's sake, since Texas, their schedule's up on the screen right now, and that's the only reason. Let's say Texas were to beat Oklahoma. Well, automatically, I'm asking myself, all right, well, that means I got to find three losses minimum on here. It's easy to find one in week two if they play Alabama, which they do. Uh, Then they go to Texas Tech in week four. Not an easy game. They got West Virginia in week five. They got Iowa State in week seven. They got at Oklahoma State in week eight. They got Baylor at the end of the year. Yeah, you could find three losses there, but they're also all winnable games. And if you get the Oklahoma win out of the way, you see my point. So I'm going to give this a five on the boldness scale. I do think at least one of them is going to have double-digit win seasons. I have no clue whatsoever which one. I'm just playing the percentages. It is April after all. Next up, this one would cause a massive ripple effect across the ACC and, quite frankly, beyond. Clemson wins less than 10 games. And, for the record, the account here showed us a prediction from last year wherein they said Clemson will not win the ACC. And that was August 27th. So congratulations there. That was not an easy prediction to make. If Clemson does not win 10 games, if they win nine or fewer, I want you to pause and I want you to think about what that would do, what that would have you saying, how that would have the rest of college football feeling. How bold is this to you? I gave this a six on the boldness scale. You would think... Well, with a schedule that relatively soft, how in the world are they going to lose three or more games? Well, here's what I came to, and this is why I don't think it's any bolder than a six. I could actually see this happening because there is no in-between to me. If they have the same problems they had last year, they go from on one side of the coin, a team, if you look at their schedule, that shouldn't even be uh, more than challenged a few times in the year, to be in a team that could be challenged virtually every week outside of like week two against Furman. And if that's the case, if, if for argument's sake, quarterback is no better than it was last year and their receiving core is no better than it was last year and they, in addition, do feel the sting of losing an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator, that they could lose multiple games. And so while that's, again, not my prediction here in April, we have the entire summer for that, If you watch them in week one against Georgia Tech and it just feels discombobulated, it has a a lot of feel of 2021 about it, I'm going to look at this probably and I'm going to say, you know what, I said it was only a six on the boldness scale, I need to lower that number more. Because at that point, everyone's going to smell blood in the water again for a back-to-back situation, back-to-back seasons. And like last year, you will turn on Clemson games and they will have been favored by like 14 instead of their usual 21, but still expected to win. And you'll be watching them and you'll say, why did I bet Clemson this week? Why did I think it was going to turn the corner? I'm just saying there is a universe. There is a scenario where that happens. So I'm going to give it a six. 
The next one I found a little too bold for my taste, but I'll tee it up for you and you can decide amongst yourselves what you think. Michigan and Notre Dame both beat Ohio State in the horseshoe this year. For the record, this would be a loss to Notre Dame to open the season in Columbus and a loss to Michigan to close the season in Columbus. I put this at a nine on the boldness scale. I do not think this is going to happen. In fact, I think uh, it's a lot more likely Ohio State goes 2-0 here than even 1-1. I'll put it that way. Much less 0-2. So I, like many people, pretty high on Ohio State this year. But it is very hard for me to specifically picture Notre Dame going in there and winning. First game of the year. So that's Marcus Freeman's first game. After that Oregon reset last year, remember when Oregon went in there? I think it was week two. I was at the Iowa-Iowa State game. I remember in that press box, we were watching that, and it just boggled the mind that you were watching Oregon go in there and do what they were able to do with such ease at times, especially against that Ohio State defense. Well, the reason I mentioned that game is because so much in that Ohio State program changed largely because of what happened in that game. Brian Day didn't even wait to the end of the year. He started making defensive changes during the year and certainly overhauled it after the end of the season. So Jim Knowles comes in there like, you think Notre Dame is going to run all over a Jim Knowles defense, even if it's the first game at Ohio State for him? I don't think so, but I also, even if I just ignore defense for a second, I ask myself, with a quarterback advantage this dramatic and with a skill position edge this dramatic, how in the world are they going to drop that game? And if they do, the spread will be about two touchdowns or so, for the record, for those wondering. If they do, then should not I expect that to light a fire under Ohio State, the likes of which they used to fuel their way through the rest of the year, which culminates in the ultimate of revenge scenarios in the game at the end of the year, where you get a Jim Harbaugh who tried to slap you in the back of the head and then exit the conference, but then didn't get to the door before it got slammed in his face. So he has to come back and come in your building and face you. You're going to drop that game too? I can't see that. I think they'll go, I think they're much more likely to go 2-0 than even 1-1, much less 0-2 in those games. But I'll pose this to you the same way I just did with the Clemson scenario. I'm going to go long A there for once. If this happens, you can, you can hit me up from Xenia, Ohio. I just name all the towns that got hit by famous tornadoes. You can hit me up. If this happens, just like if Clemson wins nine or eight games, how different is the conversation? How different are people talking about Ryan Day? If, if this stuff happens again in back-to-back -back years, you look at an offense as loaded as theirs. Because if they lose to Michigan and they lose to Notre Dame, I mean, chances are maybe they dropped another game along the way. They may not even be playing for the Big Ten Championship. If they miss out, on going to Indianapolis again this year with that offensive roster? Whew, tough questions would have to be answered. That's why I think it's very bold. Uh, let's move on and talk a little individual award season fodder here. This was very popular. I just chose one, but there are like 50 of you that suggested this one. Anthony Richardson will be a serious contender for the Heisman, even though Florida's win-loss record won't be favorable. Now, some of you just flat out said he's going to win the thing. I put this at an eight on the boldness scale. I think it's pretty bold. You may think by me saying this is so bold that I doubt Anthony Richardson. Quite the opposite. Phenomenal athlete. I could drop him in Columbus, Ohio or Tuscaloosa and he probably would be the favorite to win the Heisman. I'm thinking about who he has to go up against. Let's go back to those two geographical pinpoints. I'm thinking about CJ Stroud and I'm thinking about Bryce Young. And if those guys are healthy, you're looking at them putting up just bonkers numbers every week. And you have to keep pace with that. So then I look back down there in Gainesville and I say, who in the world is he throwing the ball to? Unless Billy Napier and his staff go in the transfer portal multiple times and pull multiple difference makers out at the wide receiver position, he doesn't have the cast of characters around him. It takes immense talent around you. If you're going to top what Bryce Young's inevitably going to do, what C.J. Stroud's inevitably going to do, I just don't think they're going to have that kind of offensive consistency week to week there. And you're going to watch him, and you'll probably end up saying during the season what I just said. You'd probably say, look at number 15. Look at that quarterback Florida's got. Like, can you imagine his talent on this roster or that roster? That just may be the way it is in Florida this year. Certainly, we hope it changes in years to come. 
But man, like if he if he puts together a campaign where he finds a way to outpace some of the other guys who we virtually know are locks to put up high level offensive numbers, then I'll I mean I'll fly up to New York and if they'll let me on stage, I would present it myself. I would also then make a replica and have it shipped to Will Anderson for totally different reasons last year. So I made that one an eight on the boldness scale, not because of a, a lack of belief in Anthony Richardson, but because of a lack of belief in maybe his supporting cast this year. The next one, we kind of go back to what we started with, only it's going to zoom in on a specific team. Someone just said A&M's not even going to finish ranked. I specifically did a segment on this the other night where you were asking which teams that finished unranked last year are the most certain to be ranked this year. And A&M was one of the first ones I went to. Uh, you could, before you even break down their schedule, just look at them. Just look at the team. A lot of folks who are doubting Texas A&M are doubting them because you're doubting them against the backdrop of, can they contend for a national championship? You're judging them against Alabama or you're judging them against like Ohio State or whoever you think is going to play for a title. And you're saying, well, just because they had that recruiting class doesn't mean A&M's there yet. No one's saying they are. That wasn't the bold prediction here. The bold prediction is A&M finishes unranked. There's a big difference in not finishing top four and finishing unranked. They've got incredible athletes. They've got ridiculous depth in some positions. Uh, offensive line, defensive line. I've told this story for the past two years. I've seen them in person a number of times. When that team gets off the bus, they don't look a whole lot different than the teams you see playing for a national championship. They don't look different than Georgia. They don't look different than Bama. Everyone else does. Uh, A&M blends in with the contenders. Quarterback position hadn't been there. Wide receiver position hadn't been there. Pretty much everywhere else, they've got it up to par. So again, not suggesting they're a top four team, but top 25? You're telling me if they aren't finishing top 25 that they're going to lose at least four games and maybe need to lose five given how tough their schedule is. So let's just go up and down the schedule. You find me the five losses. I mean, certainly they're going to be an underdog at Alabama. Okay, that's uh, October 8th. Outside of that game, where are they a dog? And if they are, where are they more than a three-point underdog? They're going to be favored against Miami. They will be a short favorite against Arkansas, I would imagine, in Dallas. They will be a favorite even on the road at Mississippi State. They'll be a favorite on the road at South Carolina. At home against Ole Miss, probably a short favorite or either a short dog, depending on what the season's done at that point. It's nearly Halloween by then. Then they got Florida the next week. They're favored at home against Florida. They'll go to Auburn and probably still be favored there. At home against LSU, they'll be favored. So I get upsets happen. But even if they lose to Bama, you're still having to find me three or four more. And I just don't see it happening. And I think they'll be plenty good enough at quarterback this year, uh, you know, barring what happened last year, obviously. They'll be plenty good, at quarter, or good enough at quarterback this year. And the infusion of that very talented freshman class week over week continues to matter more and more on the field. I just don't see many scenarios where they finish unranked. I, in fact, I don't see one at all. So I called this one, you know what? I'm going to call it a nine. I'm going to call it a nine on the boldness scale. That's how confident I am Texas A&M is going to finish ranked this year. There's one more. I saved it for last because I really want to emphasize this one. Ian suggested Utah is going to the playoffs. It's a three for me. I don't even think it's that bold. I think it's very possible. What feels guaranteed in the playoff picture? What feels guaranteed? The SEC, it feels, is guaranteed to get a team in, minimum one. It feels like the Big Ten's guaranteed. But outside of that, what does it feel is guaranteed right now? I don't really feel like anything else is guaranteed. So my point there, even though it doesn't always work out that way, is it feels like the playoff picture's kind of wide open. It does not feel like there are many seats with already a penciled-in conference um, logo in, in, in the blank. And so if that's the case, and then I look at how Utah ended last season, I was reading up a lot and watching some of their spring game yesterday. It's going to be quiet because it's out there in Salt Lake City. It's Utah. It, it's not going to get the headline of a USC or an Oklahoma, but they got a really good team. They don't have any question at quarterback. Cam Rising's back. Uh, he didn't even hardly scrimmage yesterday. They already feel confident about him. They just want to figure out their depth situation. The schedule could allow them to lose an early game. 
and if they finish undefeated the rest of the way and win the Pac-12, still be in here. You know they open at Florida. Those of you listening on podcasts can't see the schedule here. They open at Florida. I want you to think about the hardest games on this schedule. At Florida, USC at home, uh, at Oregon. What do all those teams have in common? They're all breaking in new staffs. So Utah has got a, a supremely experienced team there. Kyle Whittingham's been there for forever. They were perfectly primed to ride that wave of late season momentum last year with a lot of those key contributors returning into a finish the drill type situation this year. And all of their toughest games, they have that edge on the opposition. They've got consistency, they got continuity, and they have on the other side, none of it. This could very well be a year where Utah's there. When you combine what I just said with also the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of certainty, do you feel like the ACC or the Big 12 are guaranteed playoff spots? Do you feel like Notre Dame's gonna look down, lock down one of those spots? I don't, uh, not necessarily. Uh, SEC could take three spots for all I know, but I do know Utah has, here's the word, a confluence of events, a confluence of circumstance, if you will, kind of all coming together to where it does feel like if you're going to make that proclamation, 2022 is the time to do it. Boldness. How bold do you feel that was? We've got like a hundred more of them. There is no shortage of bold takes from you guys, so we'll probably continue that. Hey, they're watching us in Vancouver, British Columbia. They're watching us in Kearney, Nebraska. They're watching us in Lawton, Oklahoma. Heard you guys had some interesting weather there yesterday. And they're watching us in Southfield, Michigan, wherever you're watching. Thank you so much. Let's go to Q&A, because we've got, um, we got three really good ones here. And they go all sorts of different directions. I teed this one up earlier. Um, I don't like doing these kind of segments. But you asked, so we're going to do it. Here we go. Brad, with the question of the year. In the last decade, which university has made the worst coaching hire? I could not narrow it down to one, so I'm going four. But I put it out there to you guys on Twitter, and boy, I think by a 10 to one margin, there was one name that really carried the day, and that was Chad Morris at Arkansas. Dark, dark times. I'm gonna read a list of teams here. And then I'm going to tell you what they all have in common. <clears throat> Colorado State, North Texas, Vanderbilt, San Jose State, Western Kentucky. That is not a preseason basketball tournament in Maui. Those are the teams that Chad Morris found a way to lose to in the span of two seasons. Less than two seasons, really. He wasn't even there the whole second season. Colorado State. North Texas, Vandy, San Jose State, Western Kentucky. This was a four and 20 stretch. This was again, a dark, dark time in the annals of Razorback football history. It's something they've tried to forget. However, gotta give them credit. I think a lot of them, if you're sitting there in Fort Smith tonight and you're watching, and I know you are, if I were to ask you, would you change the past given what you have now? I don't think they would. Given what they have now, it's easy to say. Now that you've got the benefit of hindsight and you know that going through that led you to Sam Pittman, which leads you to what you're going to put on the field this year and beyond. But boy, it was, it, it was tough. But when I went to the Arkansas A&M game last year, and it was just a regular season game, that's how a casual would frame it, just a regular season game, they beat A&M and those players were on the field crying. It wouldn't have made sense to a casual, but when you realized that a lot of those seniors had been around for Colorado State, North Texas, Vandy, San Jose State, and Western Kentucky, and all of a sudden they're beating ranked teams. All of a sudden they're beating teams they had no business even competing against a couple of years ago. Then you realize the origins of those tiers. Whew. Yeah, so it was a clear win, if you want to call it that, for Chad Morris. Next up, not too far behind, Willie Taggart at Florida State. Miami was vulnerable. Uh, Florida, for that matter, was vulnerable. And uh, Willie Taggart lasted two years. There were some people who claimed Florida State pulled the trigger too early. Now, I had a pretty good connection down there at the time. So what was disseminated to me when I suggested that, because I said the same thing. I said, wow, I mean, I know it hadn't been good, but it's two years. The guy said, trust me, it's got to happen. And what he was saying was internally, we see what maybe even you can't see out there. There's no shot. It's disarray. It's not going to happen. No shot. 
And there were a lot of people around that Florida State program that were looking around saying, oh, look at Miami. Like they're, they're just so vulnerable down there. We're not pulling away. Look at Florida. They're vulnerable. We should be taking over the state and we're not. And there's this team in Clemson and we can barely see them anymore. Like they've distanced themselves so much from us. And that administration looked around and said, Is there, do we see any scenario where this guy ends up being the guy? Their answer was no. So they fired him. After 21 games, they fired him. And now they have Mike Norvell. Now, I don't know that Florida State fans would as confidently tell you as Arkansas fans would, hey, I wouldn't change a thing if I could go back. No, they're not at that point with Norvell yet. Hopefully, for their sake, they will be. But uh, they are glad to be out of that Willie Taggart era. I can promise you that based on feedback we got. The third one is Les Miles at Kansas. This is one that on the very, very, very tippy-top surface looked like a home run hire when Jeff Long pulled the trigger there. And then the problem was the games had to happen. Now, this was a program that had not won more than three games since 09, the latter portion of the Mark Mangino era for a, for a comparative reference there. So it wasn't that the expectations were sky high, but you figured to yourself, a guy who has won a championship and who comes from the SEC, the SEC West, this guy's gone up against Nick Saban and been very competitive, even though they kept landing on the wrong side of the equation. There was a lot of one-possession games they played against Bama. You figured surely this guy will come in and at least we'll see some kind of uptick. But if I were to take the years since 09, including the Miles years, and just jumble them all together, you wouldn't be able to pick out the less Miles years. He was never even a blip on the radar screen in the positive direction. Uh, but boy, was he a blip in the negative direction. Because as it turns out, that old due diligence, that old vetting process that's supposed to happen during the hire didn't really happen to the degree it needed to. And so Kansas got none of the good, you know, wins and stuff, uh, but they got a lot of the bad. So that's in the past now. And the fourth one, way off the radar. But boy, once this one was brought up to me, I had to go back and do a little review. Where were you in 2011? Because Southern Miss was busy going 12-2 and and winning Conference USA. But you want to know what happened after that? What happened after that is head coach gets hired away and therefore you got to make a replacement hire. And so they went with Ellis Johnson at Southern Miss. And I don't to this day know how this is possible, but Southern Miss went from 12-2 and winning Conference USA to 0-12 over the span of one calendar year. Uh, it was abysmal. They would argue in Hattiesburg they still haven't recovered. Uh, they had, I think, I wrote it down, they had one nine-win season under Monk and they had an eight-win season under Hobson. Uh, they really have not gotten back to the heights that they were under, or they were at right before Ellis Johnson got there. 12-2 and two to 0-12. Oh That's tough to do. That is tough to pull off, but they pulled it off. <laughs> 18 straight winning seasons before that, and then all of a sudden, a goose egg. Just ghosted them entirely. Not a single win. So the under did hit that year. Uh, those were the four. Chad Morris, Willie Taggart, Les Miles, Ellis Johnson. The runaway winners, as it turns out, in that little derby. Uh, next up, let's go with a question that drew some ire from some people. I don't know why. It's just a depth chart question. Our buddies at College Football Nerds, I think maybe both of them asked, at least one asked, because I care about the cut-ups, thank you, which good team or teams are one injury away from a disaster season. Some of you thought that this was glorifying or predicting injury. It's not. It's just a depth chart question. I came up with four of them. Number one, the Florida Gators. If Anthony Richardson goes down, their season goes down. I think some of you are, if you follow the program, probably yelling at your phone or you're yelling at your computer right now, uh-uh, we got Jack Miller. I know you do. I said what I said. So if that lead you to believe I don't believe in Jack Miller, then you, know, you wouldn't be too far from reality. No, he hasn't shown me anything or I haven't heard anything about Jack Miller that would lead me to believe that Ohio State transfer is ready to, to seamlessly pick up the baton if Anthony Richardson drops it down there. They are going to have to lean so heavily on quarterback. And I mean more than other programs. Uh, they do not, like I said about 15 minutes ago, have the supporting cast around the quarterback position this year like you need to take over games unless the quarterback is an alpha type that can take over games. Richardson is that. No one else on that roster is. 
Florida badly needs him. Number two, just watched him in action yesterday. Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel. Oklahoma, suffice it to say, needs him to stay healthy. This is what happens when you miss out in the transfer portal. They, they were in it for Jackson Dart. Dart ends up going to Ole Miss. They need Dylan Gabriel to stay healthy. Uh, and it just kind of is what it is. It's, it's a new staff, so it is what it is. But the proper perspective here is not, I think, to look and say, man, we don't have much behind him at quarterback. The proper perspective, knowing how you got Dylan Gabriel, is saying, wow, what would happen if he wasn't here? Because remember, that cat was at UCF and transferred to UCLA for, I think, like 13 and a half minutes and then reportaled, which is a new term, to Norman. If he wasn't there and you missed out on Dart, maybe you wouldn't have missed out on Dart if he wasn't there. But boy, if Dylan Gabriel wasn't here, be a much different tune they were singing out in Oklahoma yesterday. What about Clemson? It's not the quarterback position. I went with the wide receiver position. You could say Ngata. You could say just Ngata, but I just, I said wide receiver position in general. Because last year, if you opened up the Clemson toolbox, in a toolbox, you're supposed to have a bunch of tools. It just felt like they had 19 hammers. I, I went to the Georgia game, walking around on the field pregame, and I'm watching their wide receivers warm up. And every one of them are like 6'3", 210 pounds. They're just all the same. They're, they're immensely impressive to look at physically. But the problem is not a one of them could get open because they all are the same. They look the same. They run the same. There's no versatility in the room. It's nothing like the rooms of 2015, 16, 17, 18. It's, it's not that. It wasn't that last year. I strongly question whether it will be this year. But they certainly can't afford injury. That's something Dabo talked about in the spring. They're at work in progress at that receiver. You know, they always talk about the next Hunter Renfro up there. And it's going to be that way for a long time. Clemson's not the only program that does that. But uh, Brandon Spector is a guy who they're asking right now whether he's the next Hunter Renfro. I'm going to give you a short answer. I don't think he is, only because if I dropped Hunter Renfro on this team, I don't quite think Hunter Renfro could do statistically what he did back in the day. He'd still be good. I, I, I understand that. But Hunter Renfro worked off a lot of the other talent in that receiver room. Talent the likes of which they don't really have on this team right now. And so having said that, they certainly can't afford any injury in that room. And lastly, what about Notre Dame? Tyler Buckner is already hurt. That's why he had to miss the spring game yesterday. He twisted his ankle on stairs. Install ramps. Take my advice. Just install the ramps. But if he were to go down, essentially you would get what you saw in Notre Dame's spring game yesterday. I didn't really talk a whole lot about it because it wasn't much to write home about because the starting quarterback wasn't able to play. Uh, Drew Pine is a serviceable backup. He is not, in my estimation, a high-level Power 5 caliber quarterback. And so absent Tyler Buckner, and it's not that he's a guaranteed commodity this year, there's a lot of high hope for him, but absent him... You know, Notre Dame goes from being a team that could be a fringe contender if everything fell right to being a team that's looking at an eight-win season, uh, probably max. So those are some of the programs I circled. You could go to Arkansas and K.J. Jefferson. I do not think Alabama fits this description because I think if Bryce Young were to retire from football today, Jalen Milroe could probably lead them to the SEC championship game. That's how good I think the quarterback situation is right now and how good I think his surrounding and supporting cast is and how good I think their pass rush will be this year. I don't think Bama's going to need 40-plus every game to win. I'll put it to you that way. Last question here. It's a good one. Nathan asked, which one team from each conference could be a dark horse candidate this year for their conference and maybe candidates that aren't normally mentioned? So no Penn State types that are a dark horse every year. Is that a compliment to Penn State? Nathan, I'll let you answer that. Let's start in the SEC. I'm going to go Ole Miss then, since you say I can't use the regulars. Ole Miss, some of you may think, oh, they are a regular. Everyone always mentions them. Mm, do they, though? They, they, I, don't, I, don't, I think a lot of people are going to mention Tennessee. Um, a lot of folks will get caught up on A&M. I don't hear a lot of folks talking about Ole Miss. You should, though, for reasons we've mentioned several times. I don't need to go down the list again. Uh, they get Bama at home with a bye week before they play Bama. It's later in November. We talked about that game the other night. But also, they hit on quarterback in the transfer portal. It's just one little point, but yet it's a point you really need to yell. Because when you do that, 
you've probably changed the outcome of multiple games on your upcoming schedule. And if that wasn't enough for you, they hit on pretty much every other position in the portal too. So Ole Miss, easily, if you tell me to take a non-usual dark horse in the SEC, is my team. In the Big Ten, now we're going to get a little crooked. You're going to have to listen to me closely. I'm going with Purdue. The Purdue Boilermakers, did you know they went 9-4 and four last year? I don't think many of you did. I'm looking around the studio. Not a hand is raised. They went 9-4. and four. Was that not like the quietest 9-4 and four you've ever heard? Now, they're in the West, which is like a, a permanently wide-open division. But think about this. We're looking at their schedule here. If you're in the West, and I tell you you're going to avoid Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and you're going to open with Penn State, that's about as fortuitous a bounce of the scheduling pen or ball or whatever you make a schedule with as you could possibly have. And so they've got that. They've, you know, they've, they've improved every year under Brom since he's been there. They had a couple of big NFL departures. But the thing about it is those guys didn't play in the bowl game against Tennessee. And they still found a way to beat Tennessee. So they're going to be a very competitive team this year. And like I just said with the schedule, anything could happen. Moving on, in the ACC, North Carolina State, which if you follow the ACC closely, is not a dark horse to you. They're just an outright contender. But the question was nationally. And nationally, if it's not Clemson, people are going to go with either Pitt or, or they're just going to take a flyer on Miami. A lot of people aren't talking about North Carolina State. Of course, they should be. We should be as well. Uh, but Devin Leary and wide receiver depth will be two reasons why maybe from 50,000 feet, you look at that team and you like that team. But uh, let me fill you in on another little secret. This could be the defense most qualified to take over games in the entire Atlantic Coast Conference. North Carolina State, as you're looking at their schedule there, there'll be a couple of them this year. They win, and it's just a total, complete, like circa 1980s slugfest, and you're watching those zeros on the clock in the fourth quarter, and you're saying, Wow, like that defense just flat out won this game. Like that's a 19 to 17 winner at some point this year, NC State. How about in the Pac-12, Oregon State, the Beavers, which I don't think is a team we've talked about in quite a while. They were quiet seven and six last year and they didn't really lose any games by blowouts. A couple of two possession losses, but they didn't really get blown out last year. It's a really good defensive group. They just wrapped up spring, Trent Bray, I want you to pay attention to that name. He's a first-year defensive coordinator out there. They like him. People around the program like him. It's not a name that's uh, well-known nationally, but keep an eye there and keep an eye on their offensive line. If you're looking at position groups to pay attention to in the Pac-12, they've got a, a dependable one through five. Behind that, you look at my hand, it's a little shaky. So if, if they were to be able to keep health along the offensive line, that's a team that could make some noise there. Of course, I mean, they've got to play a tough schedule, uh, but... Just a team to watch. You wanted a dark horse. And lastly, in the Big 12, I'm going to go with Kansas State. Kansas State's probably going to be a little trendier pick as the season draws closer. Uh, but I will take a flyer on a young man that many a college football fan would dissuade you from taking a flyer on, and that's Adrian Martinez. If you added up Adrian Martinez and Sean Clifford, you would get a 100-year-old man. And yet one of them starting at quarterback for Kansas State and one of them starting at quarterback for Penn State. They've just, they are, at this point, legacy players in college football. Lifetime Achievement Awards for Sean Clifford and Adrian Martinez. I, I'm pretty sure one of them has a grandkid already. Adrian Martinez, he was at Nebraska, you remember. Well, now he's transferred here. Look, there are some people who will tell you, don't waste your time. But they're, listen, I, to be honest, I've only had one person tell me this, but it's a person I trust, has suggested, you know, he's a, actually a pretty good fit for what they want to do there. Okay, say no more. I'm going to run with that because I know I've got Deuce Vaughn at running back. And I know much like I said with NC State in the ACC, I got a defense that's pretty salty here. All three levels, they like what they have. That's a defense that can win games. So let's just keep an eye on Kansas State. Dark horse, you wanted dark horses. So that's my dark horse there. I had a bet with the staff tonight that I would keep the show under 47 and a half minutes. We've been on the air an hour and two minutes. I took the under. I am in total control of the show and I missed by 15 minutes. I don't know what I lost. Credibility, I guess. 
Thank you so much for being tuned in. Make sure you're subscribed or following wherever you can. The five-star reviews and follows on the, any podcast feed that you follow us on and the YouTube channel. Our numbers, I like to wait until the very end to brag about them, are better than we could possibly imagine them being this time of year. Our numbers right now are better than at some points during the regular season last year, which is total insanity, looks like a typo. It's not because you have embraced the no season mentality. Thank you for that. Until Tuesday night, remember, Tuesday night show, for the production executives, extra heavy lifting today in direct call. And I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great rest of your Sunday and a great start to your week. And God bless you.